You have been praying for me, and I want to sincerely thank each and every one of you for all your prayers. They mean a lot to me, and um, we need a lot of prayers for when anyone comes and speaks over here. So today, I want to talk to you about our mighty God. I hope all of you have been reading uh, the passages in the book, The Promised One. The readings are very manageable if you do them day by day. If you wait for the last minute, then it's a lot of reading. My message is based on the first of those four sections, Mighty God. So today, I'll be covering passages and ideas and readings from that book that really stood out to me. So let's take a look at the structure of today's message. Um, first, I'm going to look at what is the meaning in the name Mighty God. Next, I want to look at what evidence do we have that Jesus Christ is the Mighty God. And when we look at that, we're going to look at Jesus, the Mighty God, before his birth, Jesus, the Mighty God, during his life on earth, and Jesus, the Mighty God, when he returns. Finally, we'll conclude with an application, and we'll look at the question, what does the name Mighty God mean for believers today? So firstly, uh, let's look at Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This passage is the passage that that entire book, The Promised One, is based off of. Each weekly theme centers around a core aspect of Jesus' identity, drawn from Isaiah's prophecies. What these two verses that are up on the screen tell me is that, number one, the coming of Christ was predicted. And secondly, God is sovereign over the affairs of man. Finally, we can tell that we can rest confident that God manages the world well. Now, the passages in the section of the mighty God in the book cover a wide range of Jesus' identity as the mighty God. We start at the beginning at his birth, and we're told about John, John the Baptist, how he prepared the way. And then we end the section with Jesus, the mighty God, as the conqueror in Revelation. And he comes as a judge and a conqueror and as the king of the new heaven and new earth. So, let's begin. What is the meaning in the name Mighty God? Well, the, the name Mighty God is derived from the Hebrew title El Gibor. El Gibor is a compound Hebrew word. El is a singular form of Elohim, which means the one true God. And we know that in the Old Testament, he is referred to this, the one true God. Then Gibor means strength, power, hero, 
When we think of heroes, we think of firefighters, or you think of your parents, maybe your mom and your dad. Or if you're a little young at heart, maybe you think of Superman or Spider-Man. Well, the Bible says the only one worthy of the title hero is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. What's interesting is that Isaiah prophesied that there would be a Messiah and he would have the power of God. But what he didn't even expect was this Messiah would be God, the God of power. So, what is the evidence that we have that Jesus Christ is the mighty God? Well, I want to look at three aspects. Before his birth, during his life on earth, and finally, when he returns. So Jesus, the mighty God before his birth. The Bible clearly states that Christ displayed his might by creating the world before he physically entered it. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 17 agrees. It says in Colossians 1, verse 15 to 17, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. This is a familiar passage. We just covered this book for the last few weeks. But what are these verses trying to tell us? Well, Jesus is the visible manifestation of God. He was there before all creation. All things are created by him. Whether the nature you see around you, the microorganisms that you don't see, as well as the structures in place, the government, Biden, Putin, Trudeau, they were all put in place by Jesus, by God. God allowed all this to happen. Your boss at the office, everyone is in the position that they're in because God allows it. So then, the other thing that's important is all things are sustained by Jesus. If Jesus was out of the equation, the world as we know it would crumble. Everything would fall into chaos. Even these days, we know that the world can easily fall into horrific calamities, whether they be earthquakes, hurricanes, floods. And nowadays, even nuclear war or biological warfare is even on the table. These are some scary times we have here. Christ's display of might in the act of creation distinguished him from mere humans. We have the ability to make things. In other words, kind of transform things. We need raw materials and we create something. However, Jesus showed his might in the ability to create, to actually make something out of nothing. It, take, it takes divine might to truly create. And Christ demonstrated that power in the most profound way by creating the universe. Next, I'd like to look at Jesus, the mighty God, during his life on earth. Jesus 
showed that he was the mighty God by demonstrating his power over nature, his power over disease, his power over demons, his power over sin, and his power over death. There are many references up there, but Jesus was mighty through all of it. My favorite example of this is seen in Mark chapter 4, verse 37 to 41. Over here, we have Jesus and the disciples in a boat. And Mark chapter 4, verse 37, it says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was there in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That day, the disciples were in awe and of fear because what they witnessed was Jesus, the mighty God, ruler of even the wind and the sea, something that's out of anybody's control. Another example that makes me shudder is thinking about the night of Jesus' arrest. When they seized Jesus and Peter pulled out his sword and he cut off one of the servant's ear. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Now, what makes me shudder is that that, 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 that sentence he said at the end, 12 legions of angels would come to his rescue if he said the word. Now, let's do a quick calculation. What's the power of 12 legions of angels? Well, let's split this up and do it one by one. One legion, back in that time, Roman soldiers were 6,000 soldiers. So let's say 6,000 angels. 12 legions is 72,000 angels. In Isaiah 37, verse 36, it says, a single angel was able to obliterate 185,000 men in one night. So 72,000 angels, that means 72,000 angels could annihilate 13 billion people in one night. Currently, the population of the earth is only 8 billion people. What does that mean? And even back then, when Jesus' time, it was estimated that the population was only 300 million. So how, much, how, many, how many angels do you actually need at that time to obliterate the whole earth? If you do the math, it's about a quarter of a legion. Just 1,500 angels to decimate the earth. Forget about Israel. The numbers I mentioned here are unfathomable. The entire population of the world can be wiped out right now in one night twice over, and even more so for a measly population at that time. These are all conservative estimates. There were only 185,000 people at that time when that angel wiped them out. So we don't really know what the true power of one angel is. You see, all throughout his life, Christ revealed his divine might 
in ways that were undeniable, and also intention, intentional validations of his claim to be God. When we see God's might through the life of Christ, it becomes clear why Paul called Jesus the Son of God with power. Finally, I want to look at Jesus, the mighty God, when he returns. When Jesus came to the earth for the first time, he was born as a child, and he lived as a suffering servant. However, when he returns the second time, he will come as the conquering king, the king of kings. We read in Revelation 19, verse 11 to 16, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. If you haven't noticed, this is Jesus. Verse 14, And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. What a majestic picture. It's amazing, actually. We see Jesus here as the conqueror. The mighty God, having many crowns and a vast army. He comes and defeats the beast, the beast that is Satan. And he comes and defeats the false prophets and all those who oppose him. He will be the ultimate judge, the ultimate ruler. And he will reign on the earth for 1,000 years. You see, judgment fell on Jesus so that justice could come to all. Let me repeat that. Judgment fell on Jesus so that justice could come to all. I also love that illustration that we have in one of the last parts of the book that we're reading. It's a wonderful illustration, and I'm going to go through it. In that illustration, the author describes a boy who's being bullied on a playground. He is pushed around, he's taunted, and he's laughed at. And out of nowhere, a car pulls up. It's the boy's father. He urges his son, get in the car. And the boy scrambles to the car, and they speed off as the bullies laugh. The boy is safe, but that is definitely not a win. An evacuation is not a victory. The author then poses an alternate ending. Instead, when the boy's father arrives, instead of yelling at his son to get in the car, he instead parks the car. He gets out. He walks slowly over. The authority of his very presence drives away the bullies. He embraces his son. He calls out to the other kids who are hiding, who are hurting, to come into the light. He decides to settle in and remake the playground. That's the exact picture we see 
in Revelation chapter 19 to 22. It shows Jesus' arrival. And when he comes, he comes to dwell. The forces of Satan will be vanquished, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. This is a true victory, a victory of occupation. Finally, you may be wondering, what does the mighty God mean to believers today? Well, having the knowledge we just discussed, I can think of three applications where we as Christians can be comforted. Number one, he is in control. We read in Colossians 1 that all things were created through him, are sustained by him, and were created for him. Jesus is in control of it all. We may be going through hard times. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be sickness, poverty, depression, stress at work, separation from your family. These are all things that are hard to deal with. But as Christians, we can rest just a little bit easier because we know that God is in control. Everything we go through is to shape us little by little to reflect more and more of his glory because we were created for him. Luke 12, verse 6 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Each of you here are more valuable than sparrows. And Jesus cares deeply for each and every one of you. Next, he is the source of our strength. In Acts 1 verse 8, it says that Jesus promised to send the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and enable us to be his, which enables us to be his representatives in the world. Having the Holy Spirit strengthens us from the inside, and we need to live distinctive lives as evidence of his presence in us. Philippians 4 verse 3 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that's a great promise. He will strengthen us for all circumstances and all uncertainties in life. It doesn't mean that we'll never know pain or hardship, but that we can endure. We can only do that if we rest in his power and not our own. Finally, he secures our eternity. The Apostle Peter wrote that we are kept by the power of God. Nothing can overcome God's power to keep us in Christ. And what a great assurance it is to know that we are secure, not because of our ability to hold on to God, but because of his power that's holding on to us. Satan can never snatch us out of God's hand. Romans 8 verse 38 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. I want to conclude 
the poem. This poem is titled, A Mighty God. I serve an awesome and mighty God who goes before me on each path I trod, creator of the universe and all in it, every single being he lovingly knit, wisdom and power above all, love and grace when on him we call. Holy God, so perfect and right, offers to all his guiding light. Majesty and purity surround our king. All the little children to him cling. Honor and glory, strength and might, compassion and mercy, whatever the plight. I'm not worthy to call on his name, but he sent his son to cover my shame. Righteousness he sees upon my face because he allowed Jesus to take my place. Brothers and sisters, now we've seen just how mighty Jesus really is. But let's keep that lens for a moment and focus what his time was on earth and what he went through for our sake. Firstly, he was born in a lowly manger, though he was the king of kings. He grew up the son of a lowly carpenter, even though he was the son of the Most High God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was betrayed by one of his own disciples, knowing full well the outcome. He was condemned by his own people, God's chosen people, the Israelites, even though these were the very people he came to save. He was scourged, spit upon, mocked, yet he kept silent throughout it all. Even though, at a word's notice, he could have commanded legions of angels and decimated the earth. He was nailed to a wooden cross, even though he had the power over all nature and all of the elements. And finally, he died a sinner's death, even though he knew no sin. Jesus paid it all for our sake. He humbled himself down to an unimaginable degree because he loved us. And as I mentioned in the beginning, Mighty God translates to the Hebrew, is translated from the Hebrew title El Gibor. And the word Gibor means hero. To me, a hero is one who puts his life on the line for the sake of others. Jesus fulfills that title. He saved us. He put his life and he saved us on the cross from eternal damnation by giving his life, defeating sin. Jesus, although remembered during this season as an infant, is, in fact, the mighty God of the universe. Let's keep these thoughts in our heart as we remember him this season. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day, O Lord. We thank you for giving us your Son to come down to the world and be born as a child, suffer as a servant, even though he was a king. We heard of the marvelous works, the control over nature, the legions of angels at his command, yet he didn't use them for our suffering. He used them only for our benefit. We also heard of when he'll come back as a king, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords. And he humbled himself to the lowest parts in Isaiah 53, it says, 
He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Thank you, Father, for being silent and taking that sin upon yourself so that we could be saved. We find comfort in you, O Lord. We know that we find strength in you. Thank you, O Lord. Help us this day as we lead our lives and help us to reflect your glory more and more and become more like you in everything that we do, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless all of you, and I hope all of you have a great week. Thank you. To finish this service,